This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today, Pastor Matt talks about the testimony of God in us, the discussion of the water and the blood, and the true and only way to eternal life. Welcome back to the Planet Podcast, everyone. This is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm joined with Thad Keenel once again. How's your day going today, Thad? It's going well, thanks. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to the show today because uh, there's a part here that we're going to get to that's going to be a little bit challenging uh, for me and okay. some considerations when we get to, to verse 6 of, to, yeah. of, of our chapter 5, right? Yeah, it is. It's going to be interesting. So I think, we'll, um, yeah, I think we're going to try to read through verse uh, 12 today. And the first five, we'll spend some time on, but a lot of it is really summing up a lot of what John has read already. And we've talked about how there is a lot of this kind of recapitulation, or he kind of circles back to a lot of his themes and things he said for emphasis, and, and sometimes in way of summary, sometimes in way of just saying the same thing, but adding another little point in. Um, but uh, it's, it's good because it really, there is just a, a lot of that consistent message coming through in First John, the message of um, the, the gospel itself being Jesus, the Son of God who died for our sins, um, fully man, uh, fully God, or truly man, truly God. Right. Um, and, and so, and in addressing some of those heresies that are trying to um, discount that. Um, but then also the, the, with that, then the, uh, the, the practice of the Christian life, not just the, not just the theology proper or the Christology um, itself, but also practical theology that people think that it's, it's okay if you just believe in Jesus or believe what he did, but then it doesn't really matter what you do in this life in terms of, you know, if, if, especially if that's that strong dualism of, of kind of that mental, theological, spiritual sense of being at such a higher plane than the physical reality, which brought about some of that even views that Jesus couldn't become fully human, right? Right, yeah. That, um, that, what, what that produced in people was um, not really loving each other, you know, not really feeling, you know, if you can have love for God and that's all that matters, they don't really need to love my neighbor or love my fellow Christian. They miss um, the larger scope of the whole gospel, don't they? Yeah. When you, when you do right. that, when you take out the love for your neighbor, for example, right. well, as long as I believe in God, I'm all set. I'll take right. care. I'll just live the life I w- the way I want to. And God said, well, no, that's not how that works. A and B, if you live that life, all you're doing is demonstrating that you can't really be truly my disciple. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, we'll, so I think well, that'll come up a little bit because I think that is one of the things that, that comes up here in terms of what does that faith really look like? And so last week we actually looked at some of those um, marks of the, the convert. What are some of those things that um, a con- you will see in the life of a convert? And so we talked about the testimony of the Spirit or the presence of the gift of the Spirit in that, the confession of, of Jesus as the Son of God and then the love for neighbor. And I think related to that, we'll see here another of those marks he says is faith, which I think is, is related to that confession or profession of, of faith, but, it, but he actually mentions it here in as, you know, their faith. So, so yeah, let's pick up and start reading in chapter 5. I'm going to read from the ESV. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is that that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and those three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Dad, will you pray for us? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you Again, for this time to gather, to study your word, we pray that it will edify us and that your spirit will open our ears to the hearing of this word and open our hearts to its message, that we would be the disciples that would share your light to this dark world around us, Lord, where we truly want your love to to grow and prosper to your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man, you know, in this passage, I think especially in, in 6 through 12, um, we just have, it's almost like a crescendos building here of, of I mean, if, if you read this and don't understand that the centerpiece of Christianity is Jesus, then you're having a reading comprehension problem. <laughs> you know? it is. Just over and over again, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus that he, that life, eternal life is in him and in the Son. And so it's just, it's just uh, summing up so much of what he's, he's been addressing in, in, in this letter. So, but let, let's, let's get back up, uh, start up in verse 1. Um, as we see, he, this is him summing up what he's been talking about, you know, in really up earlier in chapter four, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God. And so we've talked about this, that are you a child of God? Are you born of God? And it, it all comes to belief in Jesus. And so, and he says, everyone who, who loves the father, um, whoever loves, whoever's been born of him. So he's stating in another way, what he'd said earlier here at the end of chapter four, that how do we know that we're followers of Jesus? We love one another. Yeah, right? absolutely. Exactly. And I'd, I'd also like to point out that um, in this very first part or of verse one, that we almost have an order salutis, right? Which the order of salvation, because if you believe it says, then we have been born of God. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting because that's a, um, and again, the, the belief is the same as faith right there. And it, it takes an act outside of ourselves, right? They, it's called extra nos that, that they sometimes say, mm-hmm. I think that's a Luther term or whatever okay. about outside of ourselves um, to believe we, we don't, we don't have the gumption and we don't have the heart to turn right. ourselves to God. Right. And so to be regenerate or to be born again has to start with God. Yeah. And, and that goes back to a lot. We've talked a lot. There's no neutrality. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's not like there's this, 
middle space where we get to decide it really is that God comes in and does that work. And we does, we really do make a decision, but it's been born of God, yeah. right? That, that, but it's really fad who has faith. It's really Matt who has faith. We're not robots. Right. We've just been taken from death to life. Yeah. We've been we've been brought to life. Right. And, and, yeah, and then because of that, the second part of that verse comes alive because that, yeah. that, that same life that comes into us right. um, is abounding in love, not only for God, but to those around right. us. Yeah. So I think he's really addressing here that issue. People who are claiming to be born of God, who are claiming to believe in Jesus, but aren't loving one another. Right. Right. Uh, so he's saying, hey, we need to see some fruit. You know, anybody can say anything. You know, I could tell you, hey, I, I spent 10 years playing in the NBA. And you're like, okay, prove it. <laughs> you know, okay, can yeah. you give me the evidence that you did? Show me something. You know, something. I can say whatever I want. It doesn't mean it happened, right? And so um, so then verse 2, by this we know that we, that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. Oh, now he's turning the tables back around and saying, oh, we need to... When I think of this, I think back of the Old Testament with the Shema. Mm-hmm. We talked about this earlier, I think, in chapter when we were doing chapter one, that this whole idea of loving God and loving his commandments. You go, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, And then when Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment, he also adds Leviticus 19, I think it's 18 or 14 or something, It's um, and love your neighbors yourself. Right, right? and which is so, summarizing, right? Which is exactly what this what John's doing here. And, and so, um, but it's interesting that it, it, when it says that, with the Shema, it says, and teach your children these things, right? And it's basically teach them the whole covenant, which is all the commands. So it's not just teach them to love your God, you know, but, but that if you love God, you're going to keep his, you're going to, walk with him and talk with him and show them about all the things of the covenant and the, like the Ten Commandments and the ways of God and how to live out as his, at, how to be a kingdom of priests, you know, how to pass the faith on. And, and that faith looks like not doing the things you shouldn't do and doing the things you should do mm-hmm. because of faithful, loyal, loyalty to Yahweh, right? And it's the same thing for us as it comes to faithful loyalty to Jesus. If we love God, we confess Jesus and we keep his commands. And that's going to look like love for God and love for our neighbor. Man, but that sounds like a lot of work and drudgery, you know. But it, well, but, but then it says it's it's not right, right. Right. No, it's not because this is the love of God. And so, right there, if we believe that God is a loving God, He has His best interest for us, mm, then none of that yeah. stuff should be drudgery. But even if it is difficult, He says His commandments are not burdensome. Why? Why are the commandments not burdensome? It, it, you know, I talk to, you know, if I go back to my, you know, 21-year-old self living in the fraternity with my guys, right, and they're like, hey, you know, we're at a party and this gorgeous girl wants to sleep with me, you know, uh, it's, it's burdensome to say no to her. You know, it, it sounds like I'm turning something down I really want. That's hard. That's hard for me to, it's hard for me to do. Mm. You know, what's, what's going on there? That, you know, we take that as we take, I mean, people describe that as burdensome or, you know, I can't, I can't do such and such and I really want to do it. And that sounds like God's no fun and burdensome because of that. Right. But the question is, is we got to ask ourselves, is that going to give us life? Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, Pastor Winans have been, I've heard him use this in preaching through the Ephesians series, which we've been on for a long time, but it's been great. And he says often, he says, the devil, because we've been talking about spiritual warfare, and he says, the devil is going to promise you life, right? 
there's these principalities, powers, and authorities. They're going to promise you yeah, life and abundantly. But what do they? Right? But what do they deliver? Yeah, death. they deliver death, right. right? And I think that's we got to keep that in mind. And so, but not only that, uh, God is giving us life, and we need to love what He is. They're not burdensome. Why? For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. God, who makes us new, gives us the power. Right? It's not that saying it's going to be easy, but He's saying we have the power in Christ through the Holy Spirit to overcome those desires of the world. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. That's great. And so in that sense, it's not burnt, it's not just up to me. It's not up to old fleshly Matt. New Matt has the power of the spirit. Right. And we're not overcoming the world because of our strength and power. It's because of the faith of the one. Right. right and exactly. whom we have. Yeah. Right. And so verse four, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That in this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So there's that other evidence of conversion, right? right. That, that, that not only do we profess or confess Jesus, but our faith shows itself in, in this ability to overcome the world that is faith in Christ, not faith in me, right? I mean, it's not faith in my religiosity. It's not faith in even my spirituality. It's my faith in Christ who gives me the Spirit, you know, to be able to do these things. You know, on a practical side, let's just say that somebody has a um, out there in the radio world is maybe struggling. They're, they're a confessed believer in Christ. Um, and let's just say that their struggle is um, telling lies or gossip or something right. like that. You know, we'll just pick something a little bit more benign, but this, this is a real sinful condition, right? Yeah. And so they're struggling with that. Um, when they are saying that they're having trouble gaining victory over that. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a sense and a, and a, and a lack of trust of what God has really and truly accomplished in their lives? I mean, I know we all struggle with something, right? right. But um, is it, is it because they're at the forefront of their mind? They're not putting Christ first, or I'm, I'm just to say it's me, you know, that I'm not putting Christ yeah, that's first. Your, it's your problem. <laughs> no, I don't. I, <laughs> no, it, no, whatever no, it is, no. but right. Well, it's in one sense, in, in one sense, the answer is yes. I mean, it, it's not necessarily that like somebody has. We often put quantitative value to this in the sense that you have more faith than me. Right, and we think oh, if I I just need more faith or greater faith, or uh, we 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 make it like these different levels at times, and I think it's you know, or we we want to quantify them or even qualify them in some ways, and I understand that to some degree. I mean, we grow up in Christ, we become more mature, and we're able to you know live by that faith. You know, maybe more. We're more apt to do it sooner, or we don't struggle as much with some things. But I, I, I think the, a lot of it really it does come down to it's the transforming of the mind, and, and it, it is that it is that maturity of growing up. So it's not necessarily that we have more faith, but we're more. Um, it's one way to put it, but it's almost more like um, I'm just I've developed the spiritual habit and growth of looking first to Christ and trusting him and instead of trusting in the old man yeah. and the old ways, which are drawn to the world, which are the worldly ways, which are the, those things. And so it really comes down to, um, you know, something that, that happens through that running the race, 
you know, they, they, Paul says sometimes, you know, or working out our salvation with fear and trembling, that there is a there is this growth process that happens. Yeah, and it's really a moment-by-moment moment thing, isn't it? As we're going yeah. through our day or whatever, there's always an opportunity to be displeasing or, um, you know, quench what the Spirit's doing in right. your life or, or however you want to put that. Um, but if we are consciously, I think that's what it means to be continuously in prayers, to always kind of have in your mind right. the heart of God as you're going through things. Because right. the devil's going to come in and tempt you from, from time to time or continuously even, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, if I'm thinking, you no, know, Christ has victory over this and I have victory because of my faith in Christ, I can, in that, at least in that very moment, uh, right. you know, walk victoriously in it, you know? And those times... You'll find as you're practicing that to be more conscious about that right. that you'll ha- you'll have more and more victory right. over sin, right. and it's not about gaining perfection; it's just about loving God in our actions. It is, and that's what the Puritans often use the word religious affections, mm. right? Which really, I think, is is that love for God and and and, and having our f- our heart focused on Christ. Like verse five, who is that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Again, the centrality of Jesus, and so it is our mindset of saying. Am I loyal first to Jesus? And if I am, then that's far greater. If my affection is for Christ, it's far greater than that that addiction that that's got that's got a hold of me, or it than the temptation of the worldly materialism or the or the passions and desires of of the flesh, you know, and and lust and greed and all those things. Which again, they they. If they weren't attractive, they we they wouldn't be a temptation, <laughs> right? But I think that there is the thing is, but when my affections are set on Christ, who is my hope and is my life, um, it, it, they're fewer, or it, or or their temptation isn't as great because I'm you know looking at them, you know, and so it, it's kind of like if uh, this is probably a bad example, but. It's one that came to mind. It's like, okay, the businessman who's out on a three-week trip away from his wife, you know, uh, he probably calls her on the phone and and has talked to her, you know, stuff. But but you know, the longer he's away, you know, the woman at the bar, you know, that that third week is much more attractive or much more more tempting, yeah, you know. But then rather he's going home to his wife every night, you know, or or with her, you know, in that sense. I'm imagining. I, I, I never sure. had that kind of life. But the point is that, you know, if we're, if we're focused on Christ daily and, and, and throughout the day, then those other things aren't going to shine as bright to us. Right. But I think it's those times when, you know, we're, we're, our mind gets distracted with other things and we're not, we're not even serving or doing our work or our calling, our job, our mis- even like serving in our, our family. When we're doing it from an attitude of, of, unrest, when we're not resting in Christ, when we're doing it in, we're trying to do it in our own sinful nature, our own flesh, all those kind of things, and we're not focused on Christ, then we're more prone to to be drawn to the worldly ways of dealing with things right. or satisfying our own need, because we all, we do all have a need of, to be loved. We have an all need, we have a need to be accepted and respected. And when we see that that's all been accomplished for us in Christ, you know, then we don't have to grasp for those other things to meet that need. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. And also the, the Christian life, it's it's one of practice. I think I said that earlier, but yeah. that means it's like to be a good basketball player, 
you know, you just don't show up <laughs> right. and, and become the all-star, right? You have to work right. at it every day and you have to be conscious of, yeah. of the game plan. And the game plan here is Christ has the victory right. and he has it in us. And so we can, we can walk that out. The other aspect of that, and I know this is true for sure, and either my biggest struggles or some of the places that um, uh, I was influenced when I was younger is that some of my areas of biggest challenge when I was in my youth uh, or before you know, I gave my life to Christ, for example, are areas that have become my greatest ministry with those that might have that might have a similar circumstance, mm, mm-hmm. right? No, there's some things I can't relate to. I can't relate to a person that has alcoholism, for example, right. but there's plenty of people um, in Celebrate Recovery, maybe like that, that they've had victory over that and they can share that experience exactly. with others, you know, but, you know, I think of even my, my Roman Catholic background, right. you know, I, I, there's more people than I, that have come across my path that I've been able to plug into because I've right. been through that. Right. And so that's kind of neat. I and mean, that's the body of Christ in action. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's good. So as, as we move on to uh, verse six, here's where we kind of six through eight, we we have this very interesting um, dynamic where John is is talking about the water and the blood and the spirit. And we can ask, what's he talking about here? We, we don't necessarily, you know, we, we know that that language is in the Bible some, but we don't like, we don't talk about our faith necessarily in these words a whole lot. In terms of like this is we you know th- I came to faith by the water and the blood <laughs> you know yeah and so um, so what's he talking about here so he says verse six this is he who came by water and blood Jesus Christ not by water only but by the water and the blood so I'm going to stop right there um, some historians and theologians would say that part of the heresy that is happening within and the false teaching that's happening within the circle of this where this letter is headed is again this idea that Jesus couldn't become fully in the flesh or if he did he definitely the son of god definitely couldn't endure the cross that that's that would be too much and so um by saying he comes by the water and the blood, it's it's talking about him really living this physical life and the water saying that he you know he really was baptized in the Jordan Okay. Mm-hmm. Some people could say it was about his birth, you know, just being, you know, there's like water when like your, your, your mom's water breaks before she has you. They right. don't really think that's, they more think it's, it has to do with his ministry and his baptism, but it's a real, a real person. And then the blood is obviously his death. And so, because um, it says not by the water only, he didn't only come, the spirit didn't only come, wasn't really pre- just present with him with the water, but it says the water and the blood, the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. And so, Jesus' ministry of his life, death, his resurrection, all of it was him being truly human and truly God. And so John here is is emphasizing the fact that we can't separate the Son of God from the Christ of God, the, the Messiah, um, the, the man that was truly the Son of God as well, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's the main thing that he's bringing up here, and he's, he's addressing that through this language of of the spirit and the blood and the water. And so in verse seven, he says, there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and those three, three agree. Now, in terms of Jewish thinking and possibly even Greek thinking, but especially thinking like the Old Testament, it talks about, you know, is the testimony of one person valid? 
in terms of bringing a charge against someone. No, you must have testimony of two or three is what it says. Right, two or three witnesses as yeah. well. And so I think that's what he what he's now the interesting thing here the question is okay, I can understand the spirit's a person. I can understand how the spirit would be a witness. How is he using the water and blood as a witness? Well, I mean, I hadn't thought about this part of it before cuz I always kind of had this um, in tune with the physical process as well, um, his physical birth, and then of course his death on the cross. But if we're dealing with the ba- at the baptism here, we see the descending of the Spirit as mm-hmm. of a, as a dove, and we also hear the voice from heaven. Right, the Father says, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." At, right. at that time, um, this doesn't mention the Father here, but we see the physical aspect of the water baptism right. that you mentioned, and then uh, I'm assuming that the blood would be pointing to his death. Yeah, to the cross. And so, so yeah, I think, so those historical events were witnessed by others. Right. And so I think we'd say that. So I'm just going to read this paragraph. It's it's from an article in Hard Sayings of the Bible that has, uh, that talks about verses six to eight. And it, it just in that real quickly, it says, historically, there have been a couple other views of the water and blood. Some things it's referring to like his water and blood that in this piercing of the spear at the crucifixion. And they say, well, that's not really... Um, they wouldn't take that view. Then it also could be, is it the um, the water in, in, in terms of just the general baptism of believers in the blood being like, is it, is it referring to the to the two sacraments, you know, baptism oh, and communion yeah. kind of thing, which in some ways it, it, it kind of is if you think of those two historical events of Jesus. But right. it, the focus more, again, is the emphasis is on Jesus, um, proving that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. And, and we, he did and, come in And the we flesh, have right? to remain um, – our, our, our number one help for understanding this is is going to be, and I think you said this from the beginning, the context and to whom this right. was written. Right. Exactly, yeah. But I do want to read this one paragraph where it talks about these witnesses, because I think this was interesting. Um, so it says, how then do these inanimate elements bear witness? We can understand the Spirit, right? It says, it's obvious that the Spirit is the central witness of the trio and the one most emphasized by John. His ongoing witness in the heart of the believers is clear throughout First John. The other two are historical events, but they stand as things that happened, a silent testimony to all who accept their witness— to deny the reality of Jesus' humanity is to fly in the face of the historical data. They function as witness the same way the piles of stones and other inanimate objects could function in the way the Old Testament. See Joshua twenty-two twenty-seven. Uh, those kind of Ebenezers, right? Yep. Um, it says their importance is that the Spirit witnesses to, to something that is real, real historical events, not to something that happened only in the s- supra-historical realm. And I thought that that was um, thought that was well put in this that these because we talk about the evidence of of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. We have that, and this is a real historical event. It, this isn't just some myth that that we try to get some spiritual meaning out of. And so that it's not some supra historical realm. It's not like is that's what in some senses the Gnostics are wanting to do, even if they may not use that term. But they're they're saying, well, what happens in the, in the earthly realm, the flesh doesn't matter. It's only this kind of spiritual reality, this, this um, you know, logos that we come up with that is the really real. Yeah, right. Um, right. And he's like, no, that, that is there, but it's, but it, it's, it's also here in, in the real realm. And Jesus is that person, that real person who did these real historical things. And so, um, so yeah, I thought that was that was a good point as it comes to helping us understand yeah, that, how that, these that's three a big, that's testify. A big help. Yeah, I think yeah. That, yeah. 
So, so verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For there is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Now, this becomes really important here because what, he's, what he starts doing here is saying, this testimony is from God, right? And it's all about Jesus. So if we want to know if God is keeping his promises, if God is telling us the truth um, about reality, this is how we're going to know it. The testimony God has borne, the most important testimony, we have a lot of other testimonies. We have the Exodus, you know, we have the giving of the law, we have all those things. But the really real one that, that, that not these other weren't real, but the, the thing that drives it all home, that's the, that's the apex of like using Hebrews 1 language, he spoke fully and thing. finally through his son, right? Yeah. And so this is what we have here. Um, he said, verse 10, whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself, Ah, I think that relates back to the whole overcoming of the world, faith, right? That, that faith that we have that helps us overcome the world is, is that testimony we bear it within ourselves, right? Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Now, he's used this word liar a couple other <laughs> right. times. He's used it in chapter four and back in, in chapter one, I think, too, yeah, you know, one, yep. that, that this whole God, you know, God is, God is not a liar. He tells the truth. God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow, right? And so what he says is, is true, and if we don't believe God, he, he's made out to lie. How do we know if someone isn't believing God? Because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Again, the centrality of Jesus in all of this. Sure. We learned earlier in chapter 4, how do we know? If, can, does someone really love God if they deny that Jesus is is? Is the Christ? No, it's impossible. No, can someone know God's truth and deny that Jesus is the Christ? No, right. So those yep. two things, love and truth. If you deny Jesus, then you're denying the love of God and the truth of God. Verse eleven. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He said that in the opening in His prologue, um, and He's saying He's wrapping it up again here and saying, "This is it." Do you want to have eternal life? Then that life is going to be found in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. This takes care of um, all the other world religions, doesn't it? It does. And it, 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 gosh, man, that's in our world today, that exclusivism is, is worldly heresy. That's the heresy of our world today. Right. If you exclude anybody, right. anybody's way of thought, you're being unjust and unrighteous. But that's the philosophy of the world. That's not the reality of the scriptures. Right. Yeah. This is a this is good uh, passage to have in the back of our minds when we're when we're witnessing the people uh, exactly. to use scripture. I haven't uh, I haven't used First John chapter five to. In my witness, and usually you're somewhere down the Romans road, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, it all is so powerful and true, but this is very interesting because it, it point blank says, you know, that, um, it's not just God in general, it's right. just not, you, you choose your God and all roads lead to right. Rome. You know, this is a very exclusive. And I mean, John says this even in his gospel quite a bit too. Yeah. Right. So he's, he's consistent. I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Right. right? Yeah. And so that exclusivity is mercy. That exclusivity is grace. 
that exclusivity is love because it's Godward. It, 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 it's from it, it's, it brings us to God, but it's God coming to us. And it's in back to the historical thing, it's in a very concrete way that we know that it happened in Jesus. Um, uh, and to think that we can we can come up with our own way to God, you know, whether it be through any world religion or we can, why can't I just come up with my own religion? I think the way to, to you know, the way to find God is to, um, to run marathons. And, and when I, you know, when I, it's just through running that, that I'm going to achieve whatever, or it can be through, you know, weightlifting. It can be, it can be through um, reading philosophy. It can be, it be all these other things, but how do you know it's going to do that? Well, how do we know, Thad, that Jesus achieved this? We know because he came back to life. Right, through the resurrection, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. And, and then, you know, we have the testimony of the Spirit that's within us, yeah. the truth, and, and of course, all the witnesses, and that all comes together. But the idea here uh, is, again, everything is pointing to Christ and to that second person, the Trinity, who gave his life for us, right? there. The, the big question that usually comes up in, when you're dealing with people or when I'm talking with people uh, about believing different things is to get them, first of all, to acknowledge that they're guilty of something, of sin, breaking God's command, for example. Right. And the question that I always ask them is, what do you do with your guilt? Mm-hmm. You know, in your, in your, in your philosophy or in your religion, what do you do with your guilt? You know, if that's what's holding you guilty, then you're going to stand in judgment right. because of it. You know, the only answer is the one in truth of somebody who's taken that right. punishment for us yeah. is Christ. And that's a, um, it's an interesting way to, to get people to think, you, you know, whenever you're talking with people, you can always find common ground and people say, you know, that they love God, for example, and you, and you start down that road and it's like, oh, well, we both believe in God. Usually, like what I try to do with the conversation, and you and I do this uh, with each other as well, is we usually love the fact that we both agree on, on all the main things, but we're usually looking for an area where we might disagree so we can challenge one another. Yeah, right. You know, and that's and that comes in all forms. So when you're dealing with people that believe a different, even a different, um, so-called Christian faith, like Jehovah Witness. Mm-hmm. You have to find the place that you disagree to find the, if, in fact, there is a heresy behind that. Right, right. And so it can be a, it can be a challenge, because if you just talk about the areas that you, you agree, you can all hold hands to destruction. <laughs> well, yeah, and, it, and I think we need to be able to be willing to do it in Christian love, you know, it, and to, to talk to things. For sure. And, and to keep bringing it back to Jesus, because I think, I think no matter what it is, in some ways, it's going to be related to who Jesus is, what he's accomplished for us, and what's our response to that. Right. Well, what I'm, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no. what I was thinking is, is that what I was just saying there is basically what John was doing here. He was finding the, the grounds exactly. of where's the difference and what part of it is heretical. Right. And, uh, and he's correcting them, and he's just correcting them out of love. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I like what you said earlier, Thad, in terms of even you know don't, don't remember ever really using this to witness. And I would encourage our listeners, and maybe this might even be a challenge for myself, and maybe you can ho- hold me accountable. That I think I want to I want to try to memorize First John five ten to twelve. I think that'd be good verses to just have in my brain 
and that I could just recall at a moment's notice because they really preach the gospel. Um, and, and so I think that, that so maybe that's something, a challenge for you. You can accept or not, but I'm going to, I think yeah, I'm going to, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, let's try verses. to do that. We and be able to have we've it got, for next week. Yeah. Let's try for next week and see if we can recite that. And we'll probably wrap up um, John, the rest of John here. We've just got a few verses, uh, 15 to, to 21. So we'll try to wrap up first John next week and, and then we'll uh, see if we have a, maybe we'll have a, a question and answer uh, time or something after that. Ah, that we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll talk about it. But I hope you've been enjoying First John. And, and, uh, and we do pray that, that you would, uh, as you consider your life of, of faith, of love for God and love for others, and, and your desire to share that with others, just as the very beginning, you know, that we have this testimony of John through the apostles saying that we, we, we want this for you, that you would have fellowship with us and our fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And so as we set our affections on Jesus and, and, and realize that he is the, the central one in all of this and in whom we have life, that that life would overflow into our lives with others. And we would want to have conversations with them about what, what really brings them meaning. And we would be those witnesses, just as John and the apostles are and were Um, that we would be those witnesses to life in the sun. That's great. Thank you. Yep. Okay. See you next time. Next time, we're going to discuss how believers can have confidence in living a life of answered prayer, walking in holiness, and knowing that Christianity is indeed the true and only faith. Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.